And I was shown that um, uh, that Lucifer would return, that the UN and the Vatican were going to be completely behind it, again, under false pretenses. He's going to show up and say, I'm here to save the day, right? Uh, and, okay, fine, you know. Yeah, of course, ahead, you can say whatever you want. But I've always hated censorship. It's the internet. You know, once they get you for your first love bite, well, it depends on how aware you are, right? I forgot my bullets. I never had a gun. Here I am left standing. Am I the only one? For what I see, memories have guilted me. I'll never see the sun. Uh, first of all, as you know, the uh, the Anunnaki and the Draco are enemies. Second of all, underneath Baghdad was a stargate that was created by the Anunnaki so that they could transfer from the Jupiter to the Earth. I'll never see the sun I could just end it all But the demons will have won Practitioners that you know, some are, are good and some use their magic for good and to heal and to help and others do use it for evil. And, you know, in some cases, you know, people really were. <laughs> this is too much sometimes. From... The Broken Ruins of Babylon. This is End of Days Radio. The date is August 16th, 2017. I am your host, Daniel, broadcasting to you all the way from the shimmering Emerald City right here in the heart of the Pacific Northwest. Today's guest is Asbjorn Torval. Asbjorn Torvald is a North Vitki, which is a Norse sorcerer or a shaman, and loyal follower of the Isatru faith. As well as this, he is a magician of many traditions. He is a magical scientist, taking from every tradition that has something to offer in the goal of refinement and ascent. Sounds pretty interesting, right? We do love to cover magical topics on this program. And be sure to stick around after the break. We've got a few things to talk about. But until then, let's go ahead and give Asborn a call. Hello. Hello, how's it going? Hi, Asborn. Welcome to the end of days. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. I hope you can hear me all right. I can hear you perfect. Could you... Uh, tell me how to pronounce your name properly to make sure I'm doing it right. Asbjorn Torvald. Oh, I nailed it. You did. You did. Awesome. 
Uh, just to start things off, what I like to do is just ask, uh, is there anything new or interesting going on in your world right now? Oh, there is always something new and exciting on my neck of the woods. Um, I am currently working on with uh, with two other people, with um, my, my lovely lady and a good friend of mine, um, Nick, working on a ritual music album, which is made from the sound of sigils. So we're taking sigils, um, the, the actual images and shapes of the sigils, putting them into this program that lets us um, hear the vibrations of the patterns. And I'm turning that into um, ritual music. And so we're going to be releasing an album called The Symphony of Seder, Sounds of Sigils. And it's going to be roughly maybe six to nine tracks of um, lengthy ritual music, um, which is just going to be it's going to be awesome. Sounds pretty cool. And w- at what point and how did you originally become interested in in magic in general? In magic, um, I must have been around maybe 12 years old, but I was always interested in religion. I mean, I was born a Christian. Well, let's say I was born a Christian. I was born into a Christian family, and I always had a involvement with uh, religion and philosophy and spirituality. Most of my family have spiritual beliefs, and so it was always there from a very, very young age. But at the age of about seven, I started studying um, on my own time spirituality, philosophy, um, but the occult didn't come in until I was around about 12, where I was actively practicing. And it was more just, I, I've always had this fascination for um, the esoteric and the exoteric. And, you know, it's it's funny because a lot of people ask me the same question, and I don't always know how to answer it, because it feels like it's always been a part of um, myself. Yeah, that that does make sense. It seems that we do, in fact, live in some kind of magical world, and we, we might be magical creatures ourselves. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. Now, were you afraid at any point when you first started? Um, fear? No, not so much fear. I was more curious. Um, you know, in all honesty, I think fear was less a part of my path working through every tradition than most practitioners have. See, a lot of I've always had this disbelief for a lot of the scarier things that um, many practitioners talk about, specifically shamans. I was told by almost every single shaman that I came across that shamanic journeying is dangerous and working with magic is dangerous. And I was never afraid of it. I always, my philosophy was always, well, if, if it's that dangerous, you're doing it wrong. And there was always this disbelief for that danger. And so I've never really had that that real fear. And it's more of the, the fact that I mean, the, the the knife that the chef uses in the kitchen is dangerous when you look at it in a certain perspective. But to, to he who's doing it right, it's not. It, it becomes a tool. And so I've never really had a fear for, for magic as a whole. I think the only thing I would say that I've had is questioning my own sanity and confusion with just what is magic in reality. That, that's probably the most extreme that I've gotten to magic that's kind of close to fear. And did you, when you were first getting into these things, did you receive any backlash perhaps from friends or family due to your different beliefs? Um, it's funny because even before 
um, I really embraced um, spirituality and magic. Um, I was always a, I was always the black sheep of the family. Um, even and not just with my family, but with school, I've always been the unpopular kid. I've always been, you know, the weirdo, the the, the crazy the crazy kid. And so I've always I'm I'm kind of used to being not so much solitary but out outcasted by um, community and especially family. I mean, people haven't necessarily abandoned me, but they've always used it as the dagger to hold against my throat. If that makes sense, um, my own family have never paid um, any attention to my work up until um, I started releasing books because you know now I'm a now I'm a big shot. It, it means more to them that. It, it's some it's something I have value now, but with apart from that, it's always been a oh he's just weird we don't really want to hear about it. It's always been a negative connotation with um with my family, but they've never really abandoned me for it. And how does the Norse path differ from other magical paths? Um, that depends upon your perspective. Um, in all honesty, I would say that it doesn't. I would say the only thing that is different is the symbolism. And that comes, I mean, this is something that I've been saying for, for quite a long time, that if you strip a magical tradition, um, if you strip away the name and the symbols, they all look the same. Um, magic, and this is kind of my, what I call the two pillars of magic. You have magic being the first pillar, which is all magic is the same. Magic is simply magic. And the second is tradition, which is... So if you imagine um, these two pillars being like a house, magic is the foundations of that house, and the traditions are the decorations. So every house is, you know, decorated differently. Um, and that's kind of how I see magic, is that all magic is just magic, but the traditions are kind of what we individually decorate magic with you know kind of what works for us so i mean the norse path the norse path isn't really that different to patient vodan other than the symbolism and you know the, the kind of the decoration that we we put on on the magic itself but i mean you can take into account history it's inspired by a different um place in history a different time a different era but if you strip away those things, um, every tradition in magic follows similar things. So, I mean, you have sigil magic in, um, you know, heathenry and, and Norse magic, but you also have that in Haitian Vodan. The only thing that differs is the actual symbols. In Norse magic, is it is it similar to the Thor comic books and movies in the sense that there are other realms out there? Uh, sorry, could you say that again? Is is the world of Norse magic is it similar to comic books and move? I'm sorry, the Thor comic books and movies in the sense that there's other realms, like there's Midgard and then there's Asgard and and other places like that, Jotunheim. Um, I mean, it depends greatly on your perspective. Um, and this is the thing; it's not really something that. I can give a yes or no answer to because it is so dependent upon how you perceive reality. I would say that, it, that there is that possibility, but that comes down to my personal um, work with the, with the holographic um, universe or the holographic reality, um, which is what I prefer to call it. And that is that all reality is an illusion. And when we look at the three principles of hermeticism, the mentalism, correspondence, and vibration, 
everything is made up of energy. And the majority of energy is empty space. I think it's 90% um, empty space. And so really what everything that we see and perceive is, is vibrational frequencies. And all we are doing is decoding that vibration through our consciousness or our minds, however you want to see it, and then projecting it onto this three-dimensional reality, which is an illusion. And so everything that we see in the corporal world is simply like a, almost like a virtual reality. We are projecting our interpretation of vibrational information, which, as we know, has all possibility. And so it is entirely possible for infinite universes to exist. And, and I also go into the holographic afterlife being very, very similar. And so places like Midgard and Asgard and Jotunheim, these places all exist at least as an idea, but as a lived-in reality, that depends. Because it's how do we differentiate between what is a dream and what is reality? Because if we can still interact with things in our dreams like we can in reality, why does that make it any less real? And, you know, I had a conversation with um, Espen Kane about this, and he was saying that H.P. Lovecraft was a great believer in that the things that we experience in our dream states are just as real as this reality that we call physical. And so I would say that even other realms that we don't quote-unquote believe in still exist as vibrational information that we can create. And so if you, you know, if you look at a lot of basic meditation techniques that go on to visualizing an apple and the textures and the smell and the taste, that isn't any less real than an actual apple. It's just that we, re we understand that one's in our mind and still in our mind, and one is being projected onto this three-dimensional reality. And so I would say that the, the nine worlds, so to speak, do exist. It's more of a case of how do we tap into that, and also understanding that it's we are responsible for creating that reality to experience. I know that's a lot of information. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, though. And what is... Why is Odin an, such an important symbol? Why, why does he play such a large part in Norse, Norse magic? I think mainly, and this is... It's funny because, because in, in all honesty, I disagree with that statement, but in a, from a completely different perspective. Um, I think that the reason that Odin is so important is because people have made him important. If you look at Odin's, and I want to say character, I'm not even going to refer to him as an entity here, because what the majority of people see Odin as is an idea. Odin is, he's the Allfather, he is the Wise One, the One-Eyed Wanderer, the King of the Aesir, Lord of Valhalla. He's a very appealing character to people, and I think that the reason he's so important is because it brings them an element of not only inspiration, but comfort. But when you think of importance, I would say that in all honesty, Loki is more important to magic and progression than Odin is. Now, Odin's great for inspiration, and inspiration is vital for any kind of progression or evolution, um, regardless of what you're doing. You know, if you want to go and learn to be a chef, 
you're typically going to look for inspiration by watching, I don't know, Gordon Ramsay or someone else. Inspiration is a natural part for us to get motivated. Um, and evolution itself needs motivation, even if that is from a primal instinct um, facet. But I've always found Loki to be more important than Odin. And the reason that is because Loki represents not only freedom, um, freedom through what, what I call blood, um, freedom stain, because Loki is free, but he understands what that freedom means. And that's freedom is accepting that you're going to be damned, that people are going to condemn you and you've got to just accept it. The price of freedom is is very, very high. But Loki also represents chaos. And if you look at anything in nature, chaos is necessary for evolution, for progress, um, for ascent. You know, it's said in Game of Thrones that chaos is a ladder. I say that that ladder is literally the ladder to godhood. It's the ladder to ascent. And if you look at all of the gods in the Norse pantheon, the only one that is truly honest is Loki. Because he creates these situations that forces the gods to get off their ass and deal with it. And so they learn. If you look at the death of Baldur, now sure, it was a little bit harsh um, on Loki's part, but they learned an important lesson. They were forced to grow. And that is the thing with Loki, is that he forces the gods to not become complacent or stagnant. In as we say in, in the occult, stagnation is death. And so... I think that there's a part of Odin that would love to sit on his ass and to be at peace, but Loki understands that to be in that situation is is to die. And so in order for the gods to continue ascending further beyond or transcending the godhood, so to speak, they have to um, be forced to adapt and evolve and, and to continue learning. It sounds like you're keeping up on this season of Game of Thrones. I have been. I've recently just watched um, the last couple of episodes. <laughs> it's so good this year. Oh, my God. It has been a very, very good season so far, I have to say. And do you ever summon spirits or entities? Um, evocation is one of those things that... I have moments where I do tons of it, and then I have moments where I don't do any for, for a long period of time. And that's mainly just because I enjoy the break. Um, there's a lot, of, um, a lot of effort and time and energy that goes into working with um, evocation in particular. And a lot of the evocation rituals I do are very, very intense. Um, they in typically take up a lot of time, too. And so I, I often do rituals with, and evoking Loki has caused a lot of trouble in just my life as a whole. It's not been one of the easy things, but I've always found it to be a necessary part of, of that learning process is, is evoking entities just to create situations that are forcing me to grow and evolve. But I, I do a lot of evocation Throughout a year, um, there, but there are periods uh, from occasionally to a, a quarter of a year long where I don't do anything. Most of what I do is is meditation and, and whatnot. And this is this comes from the philosophy that I don't like to ask the gods and spirits for anything. I prefer to do that myself. But I do enjoy 
conversing with spirits and entities and gods. And, and so that's kind of most of my evocation work isn't so much to do anything magical. It's just to sit and spend time with the gods, entities, and spirits that I want to spend time with. Is is Loki similar to Lucifer? You know, it's funny because I've been thinking about this recently. Um, it's something that I've been... I haven't written anything on it yet, but I've been planning to to write some on it. And that is that I think that they are... If you were to remove the name Loki, Satan, Lucifer, Baphomet... Uh, in fact, I talked, I talked about this with um, Bill Duvendag just earlier. And if you look at all these entities that are very relative to Satan, and include Loki in that too, if you remove the names and remove the symbols, they look exactly the same. I would say that Loki and Satan, or Lucifer rather, represent exactly the same things. And in all honesty, they could be mistaken for each other. And I've always seen them as the same character wearing a different face. Why is it a bad idea to do rituals within the home? In all honesty, I've I've never really seen that um, perspective. I've always done ritual work in my home. In fact, it's the place that in there are two two key points here that I'm going to go into. But I've always preferred to do rituals in my own home, especially if it's evocation. And the reason for that is I want. I, I trust in the entities that I work with, and I've worked with them enough to build that trust, as well as being confident in my own ability. The I can, I'm pure, I'm very confident about inviting things into my own home to sit and chill and come and come and go as they please, as long as they don't interfere with you know what I'm doing or anything like that. But there is there is an element of ritual work, not so much evocation, but ritual work in the home that a lot of people forget. And this, again, comes back to the law of vibration, is that when you think about a home, especially if you live with a family, there are a lot of different emotions that happen in a home. You've got memories. You've got potential arguments, um, you know, really happy moments, really sad moments. The home is a mixture, almost like a condensed vortex of emotions. And so when you're doing ritual work, all of that vibrational energy is in that same space. And I think this is probably the reason why most, and I haven't seen this so much in the left-hand path communities, more the right-hand path communities, that they do a banishing before they do any ritual work. And I think it's probably to follow that rule that the house is such an emotional cluster of vibrational energy that it will bleed into your ritual work. And so... When doing spell work, and of course it, it greatly depends upon the magician, and you know, this part isn't an exact science. But if you're doing just normal spell work, I prefer to do it outside, can, you know, with the land whites and someplace that's separate, so that even my subconscious notices that I'm in a different place. But I think that it is important to to understand that energy has memory. There is this quality in atoms that if you if two atoms come into contact, they will continue to affect each other after um, they're separated. And so, even if that you know emotion of the argument you had with your wife last night is a thing of the past, that vibrational um, energy is still going to be there. And so that could bleed into that ritual you're doing to I don't know manifest some money in your life. It, it's 
it's one of those things that it, it greatly depends upon perspective, but also subscription to what you're focusing on while you're doing that ritual. Is it possible to communicate with spirits of the dead? Just in general? Yeah. Um, definitely. Um, I would say that there's, there's there, again, another two key points to remember is the, you know, we look at hermeticism. Everything that is within is without and vice versa. And so the gods that we see as these external beings also exist within. The universe that is external to us is also within us. And so when we're communicating with uh, a certain spirit or entity, we're, what we're also doing at the same time is um, surfacing the psychological aspect of those entities and beings um, in ourselves. Many people believe, and I, I'm one of these people, that the 72 goetic demons are aspects of self. They all exist within the mind. Um, and I agree with this to a point. I would say that they exist both within and without, as Hermeticism teaches. And that is one of the key things to remember, is that there's always a way to contact things outside of yourself, um, things that are quote-unquote unseen. Even if that is something that you may have created from a psychological build-up of energy that you've breathed life into, um, like a servitor or egregore. And typically that's what most um, most gods are for the most part. And I would say that it's important to remember that you're also dealing with a psychological aspect of the self too. And that doesn't make it any less valuable. In fact, I would say it makes it more valuable. And so I always, even with evocation, I go within before I come out. Could This might be kind of a, a random question, but could... Aliens, like gray aliens and the experiences that people are having, could these aliens be from other realms like Jotaheim? Um, I think it's very possible, yeah. I mean, I can't say with certainty, but I would say that there is definitely the possibility of that, you know, extraterrestrial. And I mean, hell, it's something that I would love to personally explore. And I think the in many cases there are some things that are just genuinely alien to us, but it's, it's a very hard thing to measure. Definitely. And as you might imagine, a lot of my knowledge of this topic comes from reading the Thor comic books, but one part of the comic books in, in Asgard, there exists these things called the, the ruin stones. And, mm-hmm. And is this something that really exists in Norse magic? Is this perhaps a, a form of sigil magic? Um, I mean, there's. I mean, when you look at um, Norse magical traditions, at least this, the ones that's out today, including my own, um, the, what I call Path of the Vidki, um, we have several different types of sigil magic. Um, runes kind of are sigils, um, at least when you understand what a sigil is and whatnot. I mean, they are sigils, the same as the McDonald's logo is a sigil. But we have, um, and there are a few different names that are given to it. There is um, Goldrostafur, which are specifically sigils that are made out of um, what's called rune staves. But I prefer to use the term Goldramindir, which is essentially just magical signs. And, or to give it another phrase, magical sigils. And typically, they are made from, you know, they can be made from 
anything, in, in all honesty. The typical is the rune staves and the runes. And bind runes, as well, are are a form of Goldramindir. And I would say that the rune stones, I mean, if, as far as rune stones, the only thing I could really say that's, that's referenced is the physical rune stones that are found in like, Scandinavia, as well as the rune stones that we use to cast. But it's more or less sigil work, yeah. And, and sigil magic tends to be one of those things that comes up in every single tradition. It's one of those almost um, essential elements for the practice of magic. And I know that you are a fan of this show, Game of Thrones. That's definitely either, you know, definitely in my top two. But have you, another one of my favorite shows is a show called Vikings. I was just wondering if you've ever watched that or if you're aware of it. I have. Um, I, I watched it probably last year. I haven't watched it, like, when it first came out. But I watched it last year. I was I, I watched it for a little while Um I mean, there's a lot of things in it that are inaccurate, but I did I did enjoy watching it. it it's definitely good for inspiration, too. In fact, I've got the same um, Raven tattoo that um, Ragnar has in that film. I just absolutely love the, the ink work that they did on that. And what is the ritual of Loki? There are several. Um, the one that I've got on YouTube? Yeah, that's the one that I saw. Um, that was a personal ritual that I, I mean, I planned to do it, but I had no idea where it was going to go. And it's funny because a couple of days before leaving, now that was, the ritual was done in Flagstaff, Arizona. It was done on a little ghost town called Two Guns in uh, a cave where I think it was 42, between 42 and 49 Apache warriors were burned alive in, in this cave. And so it got the name um, the Apache Death Cave. But a couple of days before going, and I'd been to this cave, you know, several times before, uh, a friend of mine told me that they had a dream about me. And I was in a cave bound um, by my hands and my feet, and there was venom dripping on my head, just like the, the stories from Loki. And they said that in the dream, I was Loki. But the only difference between that dream and the story of Loki was that Angra Boda wasn't there to hold the basin. And so I was like Loki without um, Angra Boda. And so I never really thought much of it. And then I went out to the cave and I, I put out the universal circle and I got my ritual set up. And originally I was going to um, bind my hands and whatnot for, for this ritual, but I ended up becoming a lot more loose. But as soon as I went into trance, that's where I was. And, you know, I look at I look back at the video footage of that ritual and it's I can see, kind of from a like from a distance, that moment of going into the trance and, and actually physically feeling the pain, and that ex it was exactly the dream that, that that person had, which what I was experiencing. I went into trance, and it was almost like I was possessing Loki, somewhat like reverse possession. And I was in the cave, and Angraboda wasn't there, and the venom was dripping, and I could physically feel that pain throughout my body I remember shaking very 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 hard and it was just that crying out for for Angraboda to hold up the basin and it was a very very intense ritual but it was also the beginning of a lot of chaos that came into my life 
to manifest the the paradise in the castle that I'm in now, so to speak. Is it possible to actually see the future? This is a funny question that I get, and it's hard for me to answer because most of what most of my inner my inner skeptic wants to say no. But that depends on how we perceive telling the future. Um, most divination, so to speak, um, can simply be, and I don't want to say debunked because that would be the wrong word, but what it's doing is it's predicting cause and effect. There are some things that are going to happen which we can predict. Just as a really bad example, I can predict that the sun is going to rise at a certain time tomorrow. If we look at certain things in certain patterns, even with our own behavior, and this is true with um, psychologists, psychologists can predict when people are going to do certain things or what where their life's going to lead based on just understanding that person's behavior. And a tarot reading, when you look at it, is is simply that. It's a psychological reading. A decent reader is understanding that person's mind through seeing how they respond to stimuli, which is the symbols and the cards. And so it's very, very easy, and easy to do it without even knowing you're doing it, predicting that person's behavior or just predicting them to where they're going to lead and and as thus um, predicting cause and effect. I think that divination for the most part, or seeing the future for the most part, is either caused because we see something that we think is the future and thus we create it. You know, we we think about it so much that we actually cause um, that to happen. Which, I mean, you could kind of say that's cause, that's seeing the future, but it could be just a, it's something that we thought we seen and so we created a reality in which we made that exist. Two is that we're, caught, we're literally just predicting cause and effect. And three is that there may be some people out there who genuinely can see far into the future. The only thing is, is that it's very, very difficult to measure. Unless you can predict without reading something psychologically or by predicting cause and effect, it would need to be something so far in the distance that you could not have possibly measured it through. Um, and this is very, very difficult because we can predict where weather patterns we can predict things that are going to happen potentially in 200 years from now and so i think a lot of it is just that predicting cause and effect but again it's very very hard to say um a definitive yes or no and one one thing about the show vikings is the characters on the show at least the vikings they they don't like christians very much besides the character uh, adelston they tend to want to kill them yeah how do you feel about Christianity? Is it a is it an okay system in general? Um, you know, this is this, this is another great question too because I find that a lot of and I'm going to be very specific here, a lot of heathens and asatru um or asatruers rather do not like Christianity as a general rule. And I'm not speaking for all people in those communities, I'm just speaking for the large majority. This is typically the same for a lot of magicians, just as a whole. They do not like Christianity. It's it's a, it's almost a trend to hate and take the piss out of um, Christians or anything mainstream religion. Um, I think, to some degree, Islamic traditions are more accepted than Christianity in terms of magicians um, and heathens. 
Maybe, well, maybe less so heathens. But as for me personally, I don't actually have a problem with Christianity at all. Um, the book that I, the last book that I released, Magic It's All in Your Head, actually deliberately uses Bible quotes to explain magic, which pisses off both magicians and Christians at the same time, so it's kind of a win-win. But I think that a lot of people feel the need to have this I hate Christianity thing because it's trendy, because it's cool, because they think that it's some it's some kind of justice for what apparently Christianity has done to their personal life. Now, don't get me wrong, Christianity has done some pretty shitty things in history. That historical stuff is not relevant to this exact moment. You know, we aren't seeing witch burnings and stuff anymore. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are still Christian extremists, the same as there are pagan extremists, the same as there are witches who are still sacrificing humans. Uh, every now and again, you'll see it crop up in the newspapers. So, I mean, there's always going to be assholes. There's always going to be a few people who are just off their nut. But as for the large majority of Christians, I mean, I don't see why so many magicians and heathens are focusing on it. You know, I've said for a long time that too many people are focused on what everyone else is doing, and typically people who aren't even relevant to what they're doing, and not enough on what they themselves are doing. You know, why why is Christianity relevant to being a heathen? It's not, and yet these people choose to, to focus on it. And a lot of the time, they, they use the excuse that, oh, well, the, the Christians are, are doing all of this stuff to us, and they're saying these things, and it's like, well... Right, but all you're doing is doing the exact same thing back. So what you're doing is, you're taking their dogma, slapping a different name on it, and acting as if it's different. And so it's funny that a lot of magicians, and I'm going to use three different groups here, a lot of magicians, a lot of heathens, and a lot of Satanists are exactly the same as the Christians they claim to be different and rebelling against. And conversely, how do you feel about Satanism. Um, I think that for the majority of it, it's a rebellion of Christianity. Um, most Satanists I meet are just so anti-Christian that that's that's what they are. They're anti-Christian. They're not even Satanists. I'm not really a part of any Satanist communities, although I have been in several of their groups, and I do kind of watch from afar. But Satanism as an idea, um, I'm not opposed to it. I think that they have a lot of good information, they have a lot of good ideas, but I think that it's still one of those areas that's still very polarized. Um, and this can be said for, you know, almost every single community, um, but take away it from the community side and just Satanism as as a tradition, um, I it's something that I personally love to explore, and that's because of the idea of Satan, um, you know, as we touched on with Loki and Baphomet and you know, Lucifer, um, are fascinating entities, Marie, because it is that pinnacle of not only freedom, but chaos. And what are your thoughts, or how do you feel about the probably the most famous magician of all time, Aleister Crowley? <laughs> Crowley, um, I think he's done some great work. Um, I think that there's many, many things that could have been improved on. And in my time... As, as an author and as a magician, I, I plan to to do the things that he didn't. Um, you know, just as a as a little plug of my own work here, me and my and my lady Joey Torval are rewriting the Goetia, um, which I'm calling the Better Key of Solomon. 
Alistair Crowley's piece that he did on it, I think, um, was a logical injustice to um, some very, very great spiritual information um, and evocation work. I think that the methods involved are not only illogical, but the reason why so many people who work with demonic entities suffer such bad consequences is because of the logical um, fallacy that the methods have. When you look at the Solomonic methods, they're essentially pulling, forcing something into, into a space and threatening it to do what they want. Now, say this about, you know, logically speaking, if you back something into a corner, force it to do something and threaten it, if it doesn't do it, it's going to try and find any way to get out of that. I mean, even with us humans, that's a flight or f um, fight response. And so when you see people who end up with every bone in their body broken and all these bad things happen when they summon demons, it's because they're using Solomonic methods. And why would something that you've backed into a corner threatened and just been a general asshole to, why do you think that's going to help you? It's going to either hurt you to stop you or it's going to find any loophole it can to get out of what you want it to do. And so I think that calling on these entities in a different space, in a new space that's more trusting, more open, more honest, but also more of a choice. I mean, if Odin one day doesn't want to turn up for an evocation, that's cool. He's, you know, I'm giving him the choice to turn up or not. And so I think that that is one of the things that I personally want to improve on. And I mean, Crowley's not the only culprit for that. I mean, there's a lot of people who rewrote um, the, the Solomonic texts, but... I, I quite like Crowley, and you know, in my time as an author and as a public figure, I, I plan to go beyond what he did. Yeah, that's really interesting. Could some some demons actually be good? Then perhaps we're just putting them in an awful position. Um, I would I would say yes, completely. Um, what people forget is that why are entities that we consider to be spiritual any different in logic than we are this is the thing is that let's just take uh say somebody who lives down the street from you let's just say her name is moira she might absolutely love you but hate me people react differently to different people you're not going to find someone on earth who loves every single person there's always going to be people we're different from that we disagree from we each have our own unique personality this is the same for any spiritual entity. And this is something that I raised um, a point on um, a, a good while back, is that we're subject to this thing. And I, again, this is going to sound like a huge statement. It's spiritual racism. We're saying that all demons are evil. All angels are good. That's based on association of to this label, this name. It's not judging these entities based on their personality, their character, their merit. One demon might work really, really well with you, and the other might just be a complete douche. But to another person, that might be the other way around. And so why is it that we, that we think that demons are not subject to that same logic? Because why wouldn't they have their own personalities that respond differently to different people? I'm, I'm genuinely pretty introverted, even for a public figure, which a lot of people just don't believe outright. But we have some people who are extrovert, and and so they react and act differently depending on what they're working with. And I think that the same thing has to be said, not just can be said, but has to be said for every single type of entity, be it a jinn, be it a Valkyrie, be it a ghost, be it 
your ancestors, they all have their own personality. Is there any type of magic at all that you absolutely detest and, and won't touch at all? Um, typically the fantasy stuff. But, I mean, most people get trapped into... They can't separate the, the fantasy from from reality. And, I mean, even to a certain extent, that's not really magic. That's just illusion. But the only thing that I don't... I won't do in... Now, I'm going to have to explain exactly what I'm talking about here, is love magic. I will do magic... Um, now, when I say love magic, I don't mean... Um, you know, magic between two consenting people in a relationship to deepen their relationship or love or whatever. That I'm cool with. But it's when people use this term love magic to coat over the fact that they are trying to coerce someone into being in love with them. Um, that's coercion and manipulation. That's not love. And so let's not call it love magic. Let's call it coercion, which is what it really is. I don't... <sighs> I'm I'm not one for forcing people to do what I want. Um, the same way that I'm I'm opposed to forcing a demon into a space and telling them to do what I want and threatening them. And so it's the one thing that I will never do for myself. Um, I I just do not like the idea of coercing someone magically to do something they physically, um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually do not want to do. Is it possible to actually curse somebody? Oh, definitely. I think it's more possible for people to curse themselves. Um, there's this thing that happens in political circles in the occult, and by that I mean the politics that this occult tends to have, even on a very small level. That as soon as two people who are magicians have an argument, one of them will automatically assume that the other person is cursing them. And that is the curse. The curse is the fact that they created themselves. I think that the 99% of curses are self-inflicted. I would say that very few magicians actually spend the time to, to curse someone unless it's something very, very serious. Um, I've, I've done curses in my time, but it's not something I do often because I don't really need to. Most people will curse themselves before I even need to think about putting down a circle. Is there some kind of overall karma out there that will balance things out if somebody's going around cursing people? Um, nature. I don't really take karma as the majority do, but I also recognize that energy has patterns. And energy goes where energy goes. It is, you know, vibrational magnetism. Um, vibrations attract. If you're constantly throwing out curses, you're going to attract them to you. Now, bear in mind, this isn't a foolproof, if you do this, this is going to happen. Exactly. Energy returns from where energy goes. Um, but vibrational magnetism, again, doesn't work on that 100%. If you put one, one equals, you know, one plus one equals two. That's not really how it works. If you're constantly doing something, you'll eventually draw back to you. So if I'm doing curses every week, eventually I'm going to have one return to me. I'm going to have a curse return to me. Because I'm constantly putting out this, you know, magnetism to draw to me. This is why people who are genuinely angry all the time attract angry people. People who are happy all the time and successful all the time attract it to them. Like attracts like. One curse isn't going to, you know, well, let's not use the curse example. Being angry once isn't going to attract a ton of angry people to you. 
but continuing to do that will. And so there is an element of, of, of what people call karma. I call it vibrational magnetism. But as for balance, I don't think, you know, there doesn't need to be a balance because nature isn't perfect. Nature eventually fixes itself. Things just fall into place. But I don't think there's an equal 50-50 balance that will ever happen because nature is never perfect. Nature is always... I mean, it just is. Nature abhors a vacuum and the demon requires it. Now, if I wanted to, could I actually draw upon the power of Thor? Um, well, that depends on your perspective. I mean, if we look at the psychological aspect of Thor, definitely. You could surface that within yourself and bring that to to whatever it is that you're doing. Um, as an external entity, that again, that greatly depends on perspective. And this is one of the truths about magic that a lot of people forget, is that it's not so much what you want, it's so much of how you get it. And I also have to wonder, because during World War II, the Nazis were drawing upon a lot of the symbolism of their ancestors, which were the Norse gods. Uh, could they have possibly been drawing upon the power of Thor? Well, this is a very controversial subject, because a lot of people would say yes, and a lot of people will say no. And a lot of the reason why people say no is because they don't want to feel that their symbols are in any way related to Nazi Germany. I personally don't really care. Um, symbols are symbols. Whatever people tend to attribute them to is up to them. Um, do I think that the Nazi Germans were drawing on power? Um, subconsciously, yes. I mean, that's how symbols work. I think that they were definitely manifesting things from the relation their subconscious has to those symbols. If you strongly believe that a symbol represents something, and, and I don't mean believe on a conscious level, I mean believe it on a subconscious level, it's definitely going to affect you. So, I mean, I would say that they weren't maybe necessarily intentionally doing it, but they were doing it. They were at least subconsciously manifesting result through symbols, the same way that, I mean, that's how symbols work. I see, and this is what people forget, is that the symbols don't care whether or not, like, what you think about it. They're just going to do what they do anyway. The same way that the sun doesn't care if you want it to rise in the morning. It's just going to be there. That's the same with symbols. Is that if you're, if you focus on something, you will manifest it. What do you think of this idea that we are actually entering into some kind of new age, perhaps even the age that Crowley spoke about? Um, I mean, there is some kind of truth to that, but I think that it's too vague. Um, we're always changing, and this, what we call age, is forever evolving, probably quicker now than it ever has, just with technology. I think that we're definitely coming into a new era. I mean, when you look at how things have changed in the past just five years, even with society, people have gone from becoming disconnected with people through technology to now being almost completely disconnected. And you look at the way that people have gone with this entire social justice movement and all this other stuff, things are changing at a very, very rapid rate. I would say almost at a dangerously rapid rate. But I think that's just the nature of the nature of, of time. You know, things are always in motion and we're constantly evolving collectively and individually. This next question is actually in two parts. 
the first part is would you ever join a secret society and the second part is how do you feel about secret societies in general um would i ever join well i was well i say i was i was invited um to become a freemason um and this and i don't mean by some random guy on facebook either um one of my family members was a freemason i have no idea how high they were up in the the pyramid scheme that they have, but um, I, I was never a part of it. I've never been a part of any secret society or group. I've been with a few organizations that are in the public eye, but not so much secret. Um, but as for what I think about secret societies, I don't really think that much about them. I think that they're no different than organizations that are in the public eye. It's it's all politics and very, very little magic. Um, you know, I don't have any collective agendas. I don't feel that everyone needs to follow this exact ruling or dogma or doctrine. I think that the individual is much more important than the collective. Do you believe in any sort of worldwide Illuminati conspiracy? Um, I love conspiracy theories. Um, I, I do occasionally watch some Alex Jones for, you know, for some laughs. Um, I do think there's a lot of things out there that need to be questioned, but I don't think, I think that a lot of people believe in conspiracies because they're, they want there to be a conspiracy. Um, I do believe that our governments lie to us all the time. In fact, I, I wouldn't even say that's a belief. I'd say that's a fact, but, um, I think that a lot of conspiracy theories are, they probably have their truths, but I think that there's a there's so much misinformation. The the truth and what isn't is so blurred between the lines. Who is Freya and why is she important? Freya is the woman of many many different areas. Um, to me personally, she is not only the ruler of Sisramnir um, or Folkvanger. But also of um, she is she is the Volva she is the Volva um, the first two or maybe not the first but the kind of head of um, Seder which is um, essentially Norse I would I don't want to say spell work because it's a lot more than that but it is the heart of Norse magic um, to literally impose your uh, I don't want to say will but to be able to not only peer into the weird, um, the web of reality, but to be able to make change in it. Essentially, essentially the magician, um, the shaman as well as the sorcerer. And do the Norse giants that Thor always seems to fight, do they symbolize anything? Um, I would say that they do to different people. I personally see them as symbols of and I don't want to say primordialism but primordialism they are I don't want to say they're timeless either because again they are I mean most of these entities are primordial and timeless but they are very 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 basic in what they represent um, you know so you have Emir which is you know symbolic of literally the earth itself it's said that the the world was made um, from Emir, and so I would say that a lot of them represent strength, um, and it's a very it's a very inhuman um, representation of these things. 
And what about the whole concept of Ragnarok? Why is that important? Now, you see, this is something that is very, very controversial in um, specifically Acid True communities because nobody can agree on what exactly Ragnarok is. Um, and I think that's because it can be applied to different things. You can apply it to literally the end of the world. Um, I personally don't. I see it as cycles. I see it as the literal concept of things dying and things being reborn. And you can liken it to different things. I would say that Ragnarok in many ways has already happened. It, it was literally the, and I don't want to say the death, but it was the end of that Norse pagan era to and the beginning of Christianity. But at the same time, it's also a representation of the cycles that we are constantly in. Death, rebirth, death, rebirth, death, rebirth. And it's, it's that trap of time is in cycles. Do you ever incorporate psychedelic drugs into your work? Um, I have, and I do occasionally um, use AIDS for trance work, but that's very, very seldom. The last time that I used anything um, like that in a ritual was when I was in Oregon, which um, weed is legal um, in Oregon, and I did a ritual to Freya and smoked an entire joint by myself. It was great. But um, I used to, and I have used DMT, ayahuasca, things like that, um, and, and several different rituals in the past, but it's not something that I do often. It's something I've had experience with, but I'm. It's not something that I do regularly because of the addiction factor to it. I do not want to get addicted to these things, and I think that they're good once in a while. They're good to to incorporate for very specific experiences, but I think that using them too often makes you become dependent on them to get results. Um, I want to use them for things that are that I want to pack a punch, that I want to have a big impact with. Um, but even then, I want to be able to do that off my own ability as well. So they're they're more of a, in, I suppose, I mean, the right word would be recreational for going out there thinking, okay, I want to experience something different. I want to experience something new. Or I don't know what I'm going to do today, so I'm going to take a hit of this and see where it takes me. That's that's how I've approached um, to using things like psychedelics. Has anything ever gone real seriously wrong when you were practicing magic? Um, I mean, there's been a few things that have really fucked up my life. Um, you know, my rituals with Loki literally spun chaos into my life recently to the point that I'm living in a different country. I went from being homeless to having a new place. I lost almost everything and got it back within, like, a month a month worth of time so i mean it's been chaotic but things as for things going terribly wrong i've never really had any negative experiences like that i've always i mean there's always been backlash effects but even then it was never that much um i think one of the most notable and this was years ago i must have been about maybe 16 17 when it happened was i did a ritual with hades and i was at a time where i was broke i really needed some money and I thought I would do some money magic, call upon Hades, and ask for you know some ask for a bailout essentially. And I had this idea in my head that the pendulum was going to swing the other way, and the the money I'd asked for had came in, but I was expecting, and it was the expectation that manifested it. I was expecting it to go wrong. I was expecting the pendulum to swing the other way, and for me to have to, to pay a price to it. And 
I had lost my eye for about four weeks. Um, I mean, I still have my eye, but I, I lost the sight in that eye for four weeks, um, catching really bad case of uveitis. I had to wear a patch, and I it was literally chronic pain if I was to open my eye at all. And so that's kind of the only time I had a really rough, extreme backlash from, from ritual work. Do you, at this point, after all that happened, do you feel hesitant at all to dive back in? Oh, no. Um, in all honesty, I take I take those experiences and learn from them. And You know, there's this thing called apophasis, which is learning what to do by knowing what not to do. And so anytime that I make a serious mistake like that, I don't let it put me off. I let it teach me what not to do next time. Do you have any favorite authors, magic or otherwise? Um, oh, I have a few. Um, I mean, apart from my obvious biases of um, E.A. Coetting and Espen Kane and um, Timothy Donahue, who has some great books out there, um, I'm a very, very big fan of Raven Caldera, who's done some really, really great work. And, and he's very, very controversial in, in different heathen communities. Um, but I'm also a very big fan of um, Gemma Gary, who's done some really amazing books um, in her time. And Edgar Craval as well, who's done some great pieces. What would you say, looking at the magical world where it is, where most magicians are at, what would you say is the biggest thing that needs to change within the magical community to in, in, improve it and make it more uh, more feasible and uh, more powerful? Um, I would say that there's two main things. The first one is dogma. We need to get rid of it. People need to start embracing the individual needs over the collective. Um, and once they start to understand that and they start to embrace that, they'll find that the results get better. And the second part, um, I mean, I, mean, I suppose I mean, politics does come into this as well. But apart from um, the, the individual, people need to learn how to have a debate because people get so emotionally responsive um, that their ideas can't even be tested, let alone challenged anymore. And I think that we need to have people analyzing and not so much criticizing, but trying to go through everything that's wrong with things that we share so that we can make them better. You know, if I post an article on a on a ritual, I want people to find things wrong with it so that I can improve it even more. And it's that kind of effort that makes magic better when we see the things that are wrong and we fix them. Do you ever experiment with astral travel? Almost on a daily basis, I would say. Where? What types of places are you going to? Um, I mean, it greatly depends on the day. A lot of the stuff recently has just been um, what I call walking the worlds, walking the nine worlds. Um, so, I mean, the Norse, the nine, the nine worlds of the Norse. But um, occasionally, I, I do enjoy. Um, and this is this is going to sound weird to some people, but heaven and hell, just with kind of my fascination with Satan recently, it's just been one of those places that I love to go in my mind. Is there such a thing as guardian angels or guardian spirits? Um, I would say that they're definitely out there, um, at least in at least as egregores. I 
personally don't really work that closely with with any kind of angels. I've always preferred devils just because of that um, the chaotic side of them. But yeah, I would say that they're they're definitely out there. They're definitely things that we can work with um, at least as thought forms or aggregors or servitors or however however you want to to coin them. Can magic be used to make money? Oh, definitely. I would say that that's probably one of the most popular uses for it. It's money, money and pussy. That's the two things that magic is <laughs> used for. And I know that that sounds really, really blunt, but you ask any any male magician of why they got into magic, it's typically pussy or money. And for the majority of women, um, I would say that that's different. I would say that it's not actually for any of that. I think that... And again, this might be a bit biased, and I'm saying this as a general, uh, I'm not saying this this accounts for everyone, so, you know, and I'm not being sexist here either, just for the record, because I know a lot of people are going to call me a misogynist and whatever, but I think that the majority of women do want to come to spirituality and, and truly delve into it, whereas a lot of, of, a lot of men um, want to come to magic for pussy. In the majority of men that I've talked to who've gone into magic, that's the first thing they ask me. You know, is okay. How do I use ma- magic to get women? How do I use magic to get money? And then the females who will come to me will ask, "Well, how I want to deepen my relationship with this or that, or how do I connect back with the earth?" Um, and obviously, it varies in communities too. But I'd say that money and money and and sex are the two most popular things that people will ask for or want to learn in the in the occult. <laughs> that's that's so funny because you know, we're talking about things like Ragnarok and, and New Ages and things like that. But most people, they just want money and pussy. <laughs> that that's it. That's the tr- that's the harsh truth about the occult is that most people just want to get laid. And it's there's a lot of serious practitioners who do spend time deepening themselves and knowing themselves. And then you have the people who just want to get laid. And I mean, you I mean that's cool. I mean, if that if that's what you want to go for, go for it. I mean, me personally, I want to ascend, but. <laughs> If if that's the goal, then I mean I can think of better ways to do it than dedicating ten years of your life to to knowing thyself. And how do you feel about EA Coeding or Eric's philosophy towards us all actually being gods? Would you say that's true? Are we all gods? Oh, I completely agree. Even Christians agree with this um, when they understand their own doctrine. Is that we are gods? Um, we are. We all have this divinity within. I think that it's just been suppressed for so long. We have the ability to manifest things in our life, um, and psychology and science even proves this. And so I would say that we are gods. It's a case of not just realizing it, but acting like it. And once we take responsibility for it, we we can make great things happen. How do you feel about chaos magic? Favorite kind of magic. My favorite kind of magic. I think chaos magic is the pinnacle of the individual. And when you combine it with ceremonial magic, and you take the chaos philosophy into ceremonial magic, where every part of the essential items that you need to include are expendable, and you can change them to whatever the hell you want that works, then you have a perfect formula for manifestation. And what sort of stuff, besides magic are you into do you have any interesting hobbies or anything at all that we might not know about you that that you like to share or we might find interesting um i mean i used to be i used to be a chef i was a i was a chef before i was an author 
I loved cooking. I mean, I, I like cooking now, just not in a not in a work kitchen. Um, I enjoy fishing and I love hiking. But apart from that, um, I'm a Seahawks fan. Oh, really? <laughs> I am. Yeah, I'm here in Seattle. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. I'd love to. I mean, I haven't been to Seattle. I really want to go. The closest I've been to Seattle is Oregon. But yeah, man, I would I would love to see a, to go to Seattle and, and see a Seahawks game at at the stadium. But yeah, I'm a big Seahawks fan. Are you in the they states? They had a game for... um, just just the other day. They yeah, won. It was good. Yeah, they won by a the lot. Chargers. Are you are you in the states yeah, right now, or are you in Scandinavia? Oh, I'm in Scotland right now. Um, I moved back about maybe two three months ago. Oh, okay. How's how's life there? Scotland is good. I mean, it rains all the time, but and I I can't say that I miss the heat because it's been pretty decent here so far. We've had a good bit of sun, but it's. I mean, I'm back in the in the town that I grew up in, so I mean, it's good to to see some of the old places and 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 see my family and my daughter again and just just to start kind of the next chapter of my life. Yeah, that's good to hear. Now we are approaching the end of the interview, but. As everyone, what I'd like to do right now is just go ahead and open things up one more time for you. If you'd like to get on the soapbox for a second and, and just say anything you'd like to say to my listeners, feel free to do that. And also feel free to go ahead and follow that up with any mm-hmm. plugs or anything that you'd like to promote at all. Awesome. Cool. Um, well, I mean, as for kind of um, final statements, um, I think the the key thing in my entire philosophy is is fuck dogma as blunt as that is um dogma is is the death of um progression in in the occult and it's very very important to embrace what your what your mind and body needs more than any group will ever tell you and it's good to be a part of an organization it's good to be a part of a coven or a group or a temple but never let that come um above your own individual needs and i mean this literally as a need to manifest what you want you have to work to what your mind um, needs in order to make that manifest and a group is never going to give you that only knowing your own mind will let you will let you do that and that is the philosophy behind uh, a stay true stay awesome this is the stuff that i talk about in my in my books magic it's all in your head you can find that on gumroad which is just uh, www.gumroad.com slash um, Torval. Um, you can, I mean, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me anywhere online. Just type in Asbury and Torval and, and, and you'll find me. But I've got several projects on the way. I've got my book coming out later this year uh, with Become a Living God, which is The Heathen, a Viking grimoire of Norse sorcery. And I've got some new projects which I've just released, um, which you'll be able to find at Gumroad. I've got my new album coming out. Um, which is a project with myself, my lady Joy Morris, and another good friend of mine, Nick Gardino, um, Symphony of um, Seda, which is specifically a ritual music album um, for the Norse gods, and with the pre-order um, with the runes too. Awesome. And I had a great time, learned quite a bit here, and I'd definitely like to touch bases with you Likewise. again. And, yeah, awesome. Perhaps we could do it again in the future. And, uh, definitely, and definitely. yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. And until then, um, hopefully the Seahawks make it to the Super Bowl again and win. <laughs> hopefully they will. I'm looking, I mean, they had a good game, um, the preseason game. So hopefully that, that win's going to continue. 
and hopefully we'll we'll win the Super Bowl again this year. Okay, awesome. And uh, until next time, you have a great day, Asbjorn. Until next time, man. Stay true, stay awesome. Cool. Bye. Okay, that was Asbjorn. What a real... I feel so lucky to be able to sit here and talk to people like that. I truly feel blessed. I am a blessed man indeed because that was so informative. That was just so cool. I mean, being somebody that, like I was talking about earlier, I love reading the Thor comics. I love the movies. I love the show Vikings. I just love Norse mythology in general. I just think it's so cool and so magical. And and I love the fact that there's actually a a reality behind it. I think that that is so cool. But let's go ahead and break for a bit. I'll throw on some more Alice in Wonderland, and then we can come back after the break. We have a few things to talk about. Consciousness and Awakening Mankind. This is End of Days Radio. And welcome back to the End of Days. This is Daniel, your host, broadcasting to you from that beautiful Emerald City right here bordering the Pacific Ocean. What a great interview, right? There's so many great ones, but that was really cool because we got back to magic, and how often do we get a chance to speak to an actual Norse shaman or magic practitioner? And what about that accent, right? Pretty cool, huh? So, this is our news and wrap-up portion of the show. Remember, you can call in at 209-348-9810 or just add ninjashu777 on Skype. If you'd like to take part, which you can do at any time, just be sure to let me get warmed up with the guests. Give me a good 10-15 minutes to talk to them and warm them up before you call. Then you can call anytime. Uh, first thing I want to talk about is, you know, lately I've been getting a little bit of flack because I've been covering so many magic topics, and I've been getting the typical stuff. Oh, Daniel, you, you're turning to the dark side. You're evil. You worship Lucifer. <laughs> you're hearing all kinds of stupid shit. L- look, people. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to say people. That sounds very derogatory. But look, I'm not evil. I don't 
I don't follow the dark side. I'm not I'm not into uh I'm not into anything that you might think. That's just not reality. That's not uh just because somebody is interested in magic or the occult, you got to let that go. You just got to let that go. I think most of you, like 90% of you have let that go, but there's still a few of you clinging to that idea like if you are interested in any other system, any other religion besides Jesus Christ, you are not saved, and you are going to the hot place. Let me tell you, I'm already in a hot place. It is hot as hell today. And the last thing I want to do is go to an even hotter place. So I would not ever try to harm anybody. And that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? If you're hurting people, then you're doing something wrong, right? I'm not hurting anybody. I'm trying to spread knowledge, wisdom, and awareness. There's nothing wrong with that at all. There was even a guest that was going to come on the show, and this person is very well known and goes on coast to coast all the time, like practically at least twice a month. (laughs) And this person had some kind of weird idea about the show. It was like, I'm not going to say he or she because that's going to give too much, too many clues, but this person seemed to have some kind of issue with the direction of the show. They seem to actually be thinking that there's something going on that there's not going on. And I, On one hand, that makes me kind of mad because I don't like being judged or accused. But on the other hand, it makes me just laugh hysterically because some people are so, they're just so like that. You know, they they just, they're so afraid of things that are different. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to plunge into the darkness along with, well, I shouldn't say that. (laughs) Don't be afraid to plunge into the void along with me. I promise we're not up to anything nefarious. In fact... The people that really are into that stuff, like the, you know, the, you know, the stuff that has to do with children or controlling people, obviously I'm very against that and opposed to that. And I'm fighting those people. So I'm fighting those forces. So please don't, don't group me in or label me as something that I am not or label this show as something that it's not. I mean, half the time we're talking about completely unrelated things anyways like psychic powers and aliens and we cover all kinds of things on the show and i'm going to continue to kind of whoops gotta be careful where i'm sticking my feet i just knocked over some of my equipment i'm going to continue to expand things i really want i mean look we're going to stay focused on paranormal because that's what you guys want to hear and i understand that you don't want to subscribe to a paranormal show and the next day talk to a comic book artist or something like that you want it to stay focused and i totally understand that but we are going to push the envelope a little bit here and there we're going to we're going to see how many how many different types of guests we can bring on here and still get you guys to tune in because i want you to like it i want you to be entertained with it. i don't want to force you to listen to something that you're not into i don't want to you know say the show's about one thing and then you know, the next day we're having some kind of crazy dwarf on or something like that. And I, I still am searching for my dwarf. I'm searching for my little person to be a friend of the show, to call in regularly, to be kind of a mascot, so to speak. But I don't mean that in a condescending way. I would like somebody from the little person community to come on the show and represent the little person community and be a voice for that 
for that uh for that group. So if you are a little person, if you're a dwarf, if you know somebody that's a dwarf or a little person, I suppose I shouldn't even say dwarf, I should just say LP or little person. If you know somebody like this, then get them in contact with me because I really want to have somebody like that on this show. Uh, let's see here. Okay, looking at my notes. I'm not evil. Covered that. Oh, man. Game of Thrones is getting so good. I know I talk about Game of Thrones way too much, and not everybody watches Game of Thrones. But who am I kidding? Everybody does watch Game of Thrones. But, oh, my God. Did you guys see? I don't want to throw any spoilers out there because I know all of you don't have time to keep up on the show, so you watch... You watch it later. You watch them all in a row later. But uh, not the episode that was on Sunday, but the episode that was on the previous Sunday. That was not only the best episode of Game of Thrones that I've ever seen, but that was like the best episode of anything I've seen. And and I've seen all the big fantasy movies like Lord of the Rings and, of course, and The Hobbit. And there aren't that many fantasy movies out there, but I've seen what there is. And that episode was better than anything that I've seen. I, I would put that episode on the same level as the big battle scenes in Lord of the Rings. That's, in, in fact, it was cooler than that even. And I'm not going to say why. I'm going to let you watch it on your own. And everybody that has seen it, which is most of you, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. That was one seriously badass episode. Uh, I also wanted to say, if you are into the Mandela effect... If you're super into it, a lot of my fans are really super into the Mandela effect. You guys have probably seen these movies, but I highly recommend you go watch Donnie Darko and another one called The Butterfly Effect, because those movies are pretty much about the same thing. And they're just really good movies in general. I know most of you have probably seen them, but those movies are very similar, and I hope they make more movies in the same vein. I never thought Ashton Kutcher could act. Like, I thought he was probably one of the worst actors ever. Like, he would basically just play the stereotypical dumbass. But then he played in The Butterfly Effect and completely changed my opinion of him. He did a great job in that movie. He's not a bad actor at all. He he has his chops. He can do it. Uh, I'd like to see him playing more stuff. I don't know what he's doing. I know he married he married his girlfriend from that 70s show, Mila Kunis. So they were a couple on the show, now they're a couple in real life, which is trippy and weird, and kind of uh, kind of cute, admittedly. I don't like to use that word, but it's kind of neat that they hooked up. I don't think he's doing any more movies, is he? Is she doing any more movies? There was uh, Jupiter Ascending, which got tore apart by the critics. I actually kind of liked it. I'm not going to say it was a good movie, though. The Book of Eli was really good, that's... That's uh, that's one of the best movies, best post apocalyptic movies. Let's see, what else do we have here? Let's read a little bit of fan mail, break the pace a little bit. This letter comes from Andrea. It says, "Hi Dan, is the word midget banned from your show, just like the N word?" Yeah, it is actually. The word midget is banned from the show. Oh, I just said it. I'm sorry. The M word is banned from the show. It's now considered a derogatory slur. So we 
we do use foul language on the show. We do swear. We do cuss. We do act very trashy. But we don't use the word midget. Or, I'm sorry, we don't use the M word because that is offensive to little people. And that would be very contradictory to what we were trying to do here, which is to find a representative from that community to come on the show. So, yeah, I don't want people using that show. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't want people using that word on this show. I, doesn't, I don't think it would really come up, for one thing. I don't think people really use that word anymore. But, yeah, I don't think that... I don't think anybody needs to use that word. It's not about... A lot of people use the argument, well, why would you say midget? Why would... Why wouldn't you say midget? Why would you say dwarf? A dwarf is a mythical creature from Lord of the Rings. Isn't that much more condescending? And what I have to say to that, it's it's up to them. If the little people out there prefer dwarf, then we should use the word dwarf. And they actually don't even really prefer that anymore. They want to be called LPs or little people. So, so we should call them whatever they want if... African-American people want to be called African-American, we call them that. Now, they don't seem to want to be called that anymore. African-American people want to be called black people. They, they've decided that there's nothing wrong with the word black, and they most most times I say African-American, they say, don't, don't call me an African-American, just call me black. I say, okay, well, you don't look black to me, you look dark brown, but if you want me to call you black, I'll call you black. I don't think that Asian people are yellow, are they? They're just tan. They have olive-colored skin. I, these words, they carry so much more weight. Like when you're calling people that are tan and pink, when you're calling them white, and you're calling people that are dark brown black, you're labeling them with, with the words black and white. Think about the psychology behind that. Think about the, the neuro-linguistic programming aspect of that. Think about the fact that the colors you're using aren't even the colors that you're looking at. Now, I know a black person can sit under the sun for a very long time and get very close to the shade black, but they're never going to get fully black. There's not one real fully black person on the planet right now. There's not one fully white person on the planet right now. They're all pink and tan. Do you know what a real white person is? A real white person is a freaking albino. Now, that's white. And a lot of them have pink eyes, too. <laughs> I, and I'm not making fun of them. I'm just making a point that there really are white people out there. And they are called albinos. It's just, it annoys me the words that we use and the words we insist on that don't even reflect any actual reality. And then people will say, oh, you're being racist. No, the words you're using are racist. Saying black and white is racist. Right? It is. That's racist. Uh, let's see here. Let's do a news story. So, this comes from MSN.com. And it says, Foul traitor. New JFK assassination records reveal KGB defectors three-year interrogation. He was a KGB agent, a Soviet defector who had come to the United States in January 1964, just two months after President John F. Kennedy's assassination. Blah, blah, blah. Told his important friends, blah, blah, blah. He said that Lee Harvey Oswald had nothing to do with the Kennedy assassination. 
he actually handled Lee Harvey Oswald's KGB surveillance file during his time in the Soviet Union in the late 1950s and 1960s. So, this this KGB operative who was who was uh, he was actually interrogated for a very long time, and he says that Lee Harvey Oswald had nothing to do with it. So there you go. More and more facts like this keep coming out. Lee Harvey Oswald had nothing to do with it. I doubt anybody listening to this program thinks Lee Harvey Oswald had anything to do with it. I mean, JFK was killed, and then the guy that killed him was killed, and then his brother was killed. It doesn't make sense that these guys would just be killed like that. It's obviously a conspiracy. I don't have to tell you that. I don't have to lecture you guys or explain any of this stuff. Not that I ever lecture you guys, but you know what I mean. I don't have to explain this. We all know. If you went out there right now and you pulled everybody in the United States and you asked them, was JFK killed by a conspiracy or was he killed by the government or was he killed by uh, some, was there a conspiracy surrounding his death? I would say that at least 70% of people would say yes. And they've actually pulled people before. They've pulled people before and they found that most people believe that it was a conspiracy. That's the absolute truth. You can go look it up yourselves if you don't believe me. But most people do believe that, just like most people believe in aliens and most people believe in UFOs. Yeah, they've pulled people before. You're not different or a freak if you believe in this stuff. You're normal. You're just willing to talk about it, which most most people are not willing to do. So I I think that's cool. Anytime any new information comes out, hopefully the same thing will happen with 9-11. Hopefully more information will come out in the future. And I don't know what the polls are like for 9-11. I don't know if you poll everybody if they're going to say that it's a conspiracy Let's see if we can find that, actually. I, I don't want to waste your guys' time or anything like that, but let's let's look that up. Let's see. Poll. Do most believe 9-11 was a conspiracy? Let's see. Oh, there's a Wikipedia page. Opinion polls about 9-11 conspiracy. Okay, so... <laughs> well, this is surprising. 46% think it was Al-Qaeda. 25% don't know. 7% think it was other. 7% think it was Israel. And 15% think it was the U.S. government. <laughs> Those are not very good odds. So technically, more people think that it was somebody else other than Al-Qaeda. Al it's just who actually gets the blame differs from group to group or person to person but it from what i'm looking at most people do not believe sorry from what i'm looking at most people do not believe the official story that's not disturbing to you you all out there that there's all these different things like the jfk assassination or 9-11 where most people believe in the conspiracy theory you can't say it's a bunch of foil hat wearing weirdos can you that doesn't work here and like I said, same thing with UFOs and aliens. Most people do believe. So are you in the majority or are you actually in the minority? 
And do people that say they don't believe in these things, are they just trying to look cool or look smart? I don't know. It's really hard to not believe in anything. The other thing I wanted to talk about, I wanted to challenge the reptilian race. I want to challenge them to find a champion. I want them to find a champion to fight me one-on-one. No weapons, no, no, uh, no friends, none of your reptilian buddies, nothing like that. Just you and me, one-on-one, in a normal fist fight. We can, do, we can do Mark of the Queensberry, we can do boxing rules, we can do MMA rules, either way. There will be rules. I don't want you using your teeth, your tail. No, you know what? You can use your tail because that's part of your physiology. In fact, you can even use your wings and any appendages that are attached to said wings too because that's part of your physiology. And I'm going to use my fists and my feet and my head and my elbows and my knees. But I'm challenging, I'm challenging the Chituri or the Draconians. I'm challenging you, one of you reptilian races out there, to find a champion of your race to fight me, and I will represent the human race. And if I win in this fight, you have to leave the planet, and you have to leave us all alone. So I'm putting that challenge out there. Reptilians, I want to fight your champion. I'm not giving you permission to kill me or attack me or abduct me or anything like that. But let's set it up. Let's do it. We'll hype the fight. We'll put it on YouTube. We'll do a press conference. If you're willing to reveal your presence to the public, we can do a press conference. Or if you don't want to reveal your presence to the public, we can do it privately. And I'll only talk about it on this show. And most people don't believe anything I'm saying on this show anyway, so it won't be a problem for you. (laughs) But I'm I'm issuing that challenge. I'm I'm issuing here on August 16th, 2017... I am issuing a challenge to the reptilian race to send your champion to fight me one-on-one. Winner takes all. Captain Kirk Star Trek style fisticuffs. Let's do it. Let's do it now. So let that be known. So let it be written. So let it be done, motherfuckers. Uh, Do you guys think that I'm too old to go to an EDM concert? Because I've been looking at some of these videos, and most of the people going to them look like they're 18. <laughs> they don't even look like they're in their mid to late 20s. They look like they're all 18. It's disturbing looking at large groups of young people, because they all have that tight, pretty, smooth skin that I used to have. <laughs> Isn't it disturbing? Don't you hate looking at stuff like that? It's like... I can't wait for all of you people to age 12 years and then you'll look like shit like everybody else. (laughs) Everybody looks great when they're that young, right? I just think it's kind of funny. It's funny what time does to us all. Time time heals all wounds. Um, Let's see here. I got another letter I can read. This says... Daniel, this comes from an anonymous source, so he did, there was a name attached to this email, but he asked me to not say his name, so I'm going to respect that. It says, please have a stage magician on the show. Real magic is great, but stage magic is great too, and is also real. 
Um, yeah, I'm I'm definitely down to do that. We have had a magician on the show before, Michael Telstar. I think that's the only one. Did he end up coming on? I think so. I think we had him on at the same time as another person, but I'd like to have him on again or somebody else. There's a lot of stage magicians out there. It's it's not something that I've really covered yet. I don't even know why. I love stage magic. I've I've I actually learned some tricks when I was younger. I guess maybe because I started to get into magic with a K, I started to focus mostly on that. But that doesn't mean that I don't still love or appreciate stage magic. I think stage magic is magic. I mean, perception is reality, right? What What's fake about it? That it's you're creating an illusion. You're not telling people how you're creating the illusion. I don't really see a big difference. You're just taking action in an effort to affect your surroundings and entertain people. And you're using some seriously cool methods and skills to achieve that. So I, I don't think a stage magician is a fake magician. I think a magician is a magician and magic is magic, but most people aren't going to agree with that. You're going to say stage magic should be spelled with a C real magic. You should use a K. And I, I totally get that. And I, I don't think we want to go back to, you know, fooling the marks or anything like that. But I think that I think it's a very respectable craft and probably one that's dying. I mean, I don't really know. There's no way I can see those s- statistics. But obviously, in the modern world, we have so many other different forms of entertainment. And I also think it's kind of just a mainstream sort of in popularity thing where sometimes stage magic becomes really popular. You might have somebody like Chris Angel or David Blaine come along and all of a sudden stage magic becomes more popular. Or David Copperfield, David Copperfield, like I like to call him. I know that part of the problem is for stage magic to become popular, somebody has to come up with a lot of new tricks. I remember when David Blaine came along, he was doing things that were different. He was doing what he called street magic. And then it got kind of old and he started doing all these weird things. Like he'd be stuck in an ice chamber or something like that. I remember what happened to Houdini. He died during one of his performances. So it's definitely something you have to be careful with. But stage magic can be a lot of fun. It can even be lucrative if you get really good at it and do a show on the road or take it to Vegas. And I've even heard that some people will actually incorporate stage magic with real magic. And I don't know if that's real or possible, but that sounds very interesting. And if I could talk to somebody like that, that would be pretty cool. But I'm fine with just talking to a normal stage magician. That's really cool and interesting enough in itself. One person I don't want to have on this show is Penn from Penn and Teller. (laughs) That guy is like the biggest skeptic. And he's not only a skeptic, but he's totally obnoxious about it. He's kind of an a-hole, right? I like Teller better. He just sort of sits there and agrees and takes part in the skits. He doesn't have the big freaking honking mouth. Isn't his full name like Penn Gillette or something like that? It it seems like Penn and Teller was a good act, but Penn, he just... He he, he had to have the spotlight. and So he he tells his partner he can't talk and then, he, and then he it's not enough just to do magic tricks anymore he starts becoming this uber skeptic and going after people and and stuff like that i i don't think that 
he needs to do that. I don't think he needs to expose the magic world. I don't think he needs to. I, I don't think he needs to be Mister Skeptic. I think the. I think the old act was just fine. I used to like Penn and Teller back then. Before Penn started to get really annoying. It's like that. Uh, what is that guy's name? Amazing Randy or whatever. The guy that has that challenge where. Excuse me. Let me unplug my iPad. Being stuck to a tether. But uh, it's like that challenge where if you can prove something paranormal or supernatural, he'll give you like a million dollars. But if you do ever actually prove anything, like there was a firewalker that tried to cash in and get the money. He said, well, I'll walk, I'll walk across these hot burning coals. That's, that should be impossible, right? And he did it, and they did not give him the money. They said, oh, this or that, you know, making excuses. And that's what they're going to do. If you if you actually can't do something, they're going to make excuses and they're not going to give you the money or they're going to make the situation so controlled that you just can't pull it off. And and that's so dumb anyways to say, "Oh, you have to come and come to this place and in front of me and, and do something paranormal or magical right in front of me." That it doesn't work that way. What are you going to do? Are you going to like shoot a fireball out of your ass or something like that? What does he want people to do? That doesn't make sense. What, because I can't shoot a fireball out of my ass, it means that I'm lying about being abducted by aliens? It doesn't make sense. I think that these guys that are uber skeptics, what they're really trying to do, and not that I don't appreciate skepticism, it's not that I don't appreciate their trade or anything like that, but... I think what most of them are trying to do is they're trying to do exactly what they accuse others of doing, which is really just to sell books and make as much money and get as much attention as possible. That makes sense to me. So that does conclude our crazy week of doing shows every day. I know some of you are going to be sad to hear that, but... I just did like 50 shows and I'm going to take a little break for about a week. My next show will be on August 22nd. It's going to be at 6 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time and I'll be interviewing John Stedman. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And we got Matthew Allford on September 3rd at 10 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Don't forget our Halloween special October bleh, October 31st at 8.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And also, I'm going to be inviting plenty of more people, so that's not all the shows that we have left for the rest of August or September or anything like that. That's just what's on the plate right now. But I got a whole shit ton of invites that I got to send out. I've got a big list of people that you guys have been sending me and people that I've been discovering. And I'm excited. Hey, we're doing a pretty good job here. Things are going good. I'm getting a lot of good feedback from all of you fans and listeners out there. I do get that 1% negative feedback. Usually I choose to read it here on the program for entertainment purposes, but it does not in any way reflect the overall. 99% of the stuff is just really super positive, and I really do appreciate you guys being out there. And I appreciate you guys listening to this show. I appreciate your support. I cannot say it enough. If you want to donate to the show, just go to endofdaysradio.com and click that PayPal donate button. Remember to 
Subscribe on all the services, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube. Follow me on Twitter, at Ninja Shoes. That's just End of Days Radio on YouTube. Subscribe on the TuneIn Radio app. Just search for EODR. It doesn't say End of Days Radio. It's just capital E, capital O, capital D, capital R. It doesn't have a picture next to it. That's this show. That's me. Like me on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash the real end of days radio. You can hook up with me on Skype, Ninja Shoes 777. Call in numbers 209-348-9810. And you can just you can just dial me up and talk to me if you want to. If I'm busy, I'll just say, oh, I'm busy right now. And if I'm not, I might talk to you. So don't be shy. I'm not as mean as I am on air. <laughs> I'm not as big of an a-hole as I am on air. I'm an even bigger a-hole. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but yeah, you guys can talk to me anytime. You got guest suggestions. Want to give some feedback? Want to talk about something that happened to you? You want to talk about something important? That's fine. That's fine. I, I love it. I love it all. And until then, this is the end of days, and I'm Daniel signing off. has returned from the broken ruins of Babylon. This is the end of days.